All right, happy Father's Day. Appreciate all of you uh, dads. And uh, even though we, uh, we joke about that all the time, we appreciate the role of dads. I was thinking this morning, and um, I'm not sure of any societal ill that we have today in our society that would not be drastically uh, better if um, fathers would step up to the plate. One out of every four children um, is, not, is raised without a uh, father in the home, whether that be a biological, adopted, or step. Uh, I can't say this in the, in the uh, politically correct world, but uh, it's, it's no question that the, when the statistics of societal ills have gone up, uh, fatherlessness has gone up as well. And you've got to be blind not to be able to see the correlation in those two statistics. So, so we appreciate you dads. We not only appreciate um, uh, who you are, but the role that you play and the important uh, role that you play in your kids' uh, life. Uh, we're in a series of messages on Ecclesiastes, and this is our third in that series. We've said that uh, so far we've said that if you, one of the things that Ecclesiastes is trying to teach us that if you miss the center, then we'll live our life for the margins. Solomon tried to find uh, happiness, tried to find um, achievement, tried to find meaning in uh, a lot of things. He tried to find it in pleasure. He tried to find it in success. He tried to find it in achievements. He tried to find it in wealth. He tried to find it in education. Nothing at all wrong with any of those things unless you put too much pressure on them. And too, by too much pressure, I mean trying to make them... F- uh, your meaning and your focus and your significance in life. Uh, if you try to focus all of your meaning and purpose in those type of things, it will leave you empty. Uh, Jesus came along and said the same thing, basically, and I wonder if he had the book of Ecclesiastes in his mind. He may not have, obviously, but Jesus came along and said, Seek first the kingdom of uh, God, and then everything on the margins will be given to you as well. It basically says the exact same thing as the book of Ecclesiastes because after Solomon spends 12 chapters trying to find meaning and purpose in life and pleasures, and he was the richest man that ever lived so he could really find pleasure in whatever he chose because he could afford it, pleasure and, and achievements. He built all kinds of stuff in education and wealth. He, he finishes all of his search for meaning and significance in the second to last verse in the whole book, and he says, you know, basically it all comes down to this. Fear God and keep his commandments. He says, for that is the duty of man. And so Dr. Dennis Kinlaw came along at Asbury Seminary and said, if you miss the center, you'll live your life for the margins. Nothing wrong with the margins. The, the margins can be really, really good if you have the center right. The margins can bring a lot of fun, can bring some meaning in life, but not if you, that's what your meaning is, but if you have the center right, if you, have the, if you keep the main thing the main thing, then the, then the margins can be okay. You won't get to the end of your life and, and be on your deathbed, and if you've lived life for pleasure and success and achievements and so forth and so on, you won't get to the end of your life like I read like I showed you the video of Tom Brady, three Super Bowl rings, and he, he basically told the interviewer, is this all there is? And now he's got what? How many Super Bowl rings he has now? I wonder if he still feels the same way. But Dr. Dennis Kinlaw said, if you miss the center, you'll leave your life 
live your life on the margin. So one, we said one of the reasons the book of Ecclesiastes was written is to warn us not to live our life for the margins. It's one of the reasons that it was written. Don't, don't invest your life in all of these things. There's nothing wrong with these things. I'm not preaching against, against those things. I'm preaching against putting those things at the center of your life. Nothing wrong with pleasures. There's nothing wrong with achievements. There's nothing wrong with sex. There's no, sex. Did I say sex? I meant to say success, but there's nothing wrong with sex either. <laughs> Christopher, you didn't hear that, did you? Yeah. There's nothing wrong with success. There's nothing wrong with education. <laughs> nothing wrong with that. As long as you've got the main thing, the main thing. As long as you keep the center where it is. So, so Solomon warns us, if you live your life for the margins... If you live your life for the margins, it'll be 12, 13 times, he says, all through the book. Meaningless, meaningless. Other translations say vanity, vanity. It's a chasing after the wind. Chasing after the wind is a, um, means it's futile. You can't catch the wind. Last week, we looked at Ecclesiastes chapter 3, and it says there's a season for this, and there's a season for this. There's a time for this, and there's a time for this. 14 different couplets, 28 different things that are, that are put together in couplets. There's a time to, to be born, there's a time to die. There's a time for this and there's a time for that. And basically most of those couplets are there's a good thing and there's a time for a good thing, there's a time for a bad thing. In Ecclesiastes 3.1 he says there's a time for everything under the sun. And so we focused last week and we said if, if we have God at the center, if we have God at the center, all of life can be purposeful, and there's no division between the secular and the sacred. Because God can be in the good and can be in the bad. He can be in this and he can be in that. He, 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 can, he can be in that season, he can be in this season. There's not a season for the sacred, and there's not a season for the sec secular. Because for the Christian, there's no division there between the sacred and, and the secular. I go to, I go to work as a Christian businessman, and I don't leave my Christianity at the door. There's no division for the Christian. Now the world, now, now the world just laughs at that, obviously. The world, you know what? The world doesn't have a problem with religion as long as you keep religion in its place. They don't have a problem with religion. They don't. As long as you keep it in its place. In, 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 in their mind, whatever, however they would define in its place. That's why I, I just really, I just find it really hard to be, and I, this is a judgmental statement, I know, but I just, I would find it really hard for me to be a politician because you're supposed to leave all of your Christianity at the door. For, for, for me to get elected and still be the Christian that I am today, how could that happen? I would, get, I would get so much ridicule. I, 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 wouldn't even be, uh, I, I wouldn't even be considered a serious person if I lived out my Christianity the way that I feel like the Bible says to live out your Christianity. And I was a congressman or I was a senator because when you walk in those doors, the world says you gotta, you gotta, you got to leave your Christianity. And, and it's okay for you to maybe have a little prayer before the session starts. But if you live your life according to Christianity, you, you, you'll be laughed at in the halls of Congress. You'll be laughed at in the in Senate. You'll be laughed at in, ca in cabinet meetings. Imagine a president that opened cabinet meetings with him or her praying 
You know what the media would do with that? How, how could I be a Christian president and not open my cabinet meeting with prayer? And the only reason I wouldn't do that, if I ceased to do that, the only reason I'd do that is because I wouldn't want to get the criticism for it. The world tells you there's a difference in the secular and the sacred. You, you've, you've got to leave your, your religion at the door and, and go do this other stuff, and the Bible has zero understanding of that. Zero understanding of that. I told you a story of a, of a roofer I remember talking to one time, and, and, and I'm asking him about where he went to church and all that kind of stuff, and, he, he, and we got continued talking, and he goes, well, I, I like to keep my business and my uh, Christianity separate. What Bible are you reading? There's no difference. God is in all seasons of life. God is in all seasons of life. And there's no difference between the secular and the sacred. And with God at the center, all seasons can have meaning and purpose in my life. Now today we come to the fourth chapter of Ecclesiastes and and, and Solomon looks at a thousand-year-old question that's asked in 2022 and it was asked whenever this book was written thousands of years ago. He says in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, he says, Again, I look and I saw all the oppression that was taking place under the sun. Under the sun is a little phrase that comes up time and time again in the book of Ecclesiastes. It just means things that happen here on earth. As Christians, we, we, we should live over the sun. We should, we should walk around with heavenly perspectives. Not, not so heavenly-minded that we're no earthly good, but, but we just don't think worldly. We just don't think under the sun thinking. We think over the sun thinking. But he says, I looked and I saw all the oppression that was taking place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed and they had no comforter. Power was on the side of the oppressors. Power was on the side of the oppressors. He's asking why injustice happens in life. He's asking why things happen that they shouldn't happen. He's asking why God allows bad things to happen to good people and all those questions that all of us have asked and none of us have answers to. And this message is not going to satisfy you and this message is not going to answer all the... I can give you some reasons, biblical reasons, on why there's injustice in life, but it's not going to make you feel good. It's not going to make you walk out of here on the... uh, on, the, on, the, uh, on your toes and thinking, well, now i got all that figured out. There's a great mystery in why there's injustice in, in life. There's a great mystery on why things happen that seems like are unfair and that shouldn't happen. We'll never have all those answers. If we had all those answers, we wouldn't have need for faith. You'll always, as long as you walk by faith, you'll always will have unanswered questions always will have unanswered questions as long as you walk by faith. If you have answers to all the questions, you need no faith. You need no faith. It presupposes, a life of faith presupposes that there will be unanswered questions. There will be questions that you cannot answer and God does not answer in all of this. But Solomon, thousands of years ago, wondered, you know, why why things not fair, man? Why things not fair? He talks about it throughout the book. 
Solomon almost like, when he wrote the book, it's almost like Solomon had ADD or something because he'd write about something and then he'd go totally change the subject and write about this. And then he'd throw something else that he talked about back here. And it, it happens a lot. And he, he throws a lot of stuff all through his book about that life isn't unfair. Meaningless, meaningless, he says. All is meaningless. And he says in Ecclesiastes chapter 8, he talks about the injustice of life and how life is unfair. There's something else meaningless that occurs on earth. The righteous who get what the wicked deserve. And the wicked who get what the righteous deserve. This too is meaningless, he says. He's, just bas he's asking, why, why isn't life fair? Why, God seen, why doesn't God take care of that? Why did God allow that to happen? It's the same old questions that have been going on for thousands of years and will go on until Jesus returns. He says in 9-11 of Ecclesiastes, he says, I've seen something else under the sun. The race does not go to the swift. Doesn't think the swift should win the race. That seems fair, right? The fastest guy, the fastest gal should win the race. That, that just seems fair. But he says the race didn't go to the swift. And the battle doesn't go to the strong. Nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favor to the learned. But time and chance happens to us all it's just stuff happens stuff happens the swift does not always win the race and it seems like if if everything was fair in life or the way it should be the fastest guy or gal would always win the race the people that are most learned would control everything the, the wisest people that would, con would control everything but he said it's not the way that it is and there's more examples of that all the way through um he says meaningless because life just doesn't seem to add up. Life just doesn't seem to make sense. So how do we deal with the fact that life is not fair? And this is probably in 12 years of preaching here, this is probably the fourth or fifth time I've broached this subject because it's a very important subject and one that's in everybody's mind. I've got to preach a funeral tomorrow. And... The family of the deceased has told me there's a people in that there will be people there that don't want to have anything to do with God because there's been uh, injustice. Young people have died in that family and they don't know where God was in all of that. And they can't deal with that. And even though that happened years ago, they carry that into today. And unless they deal with that, and, and unless they leave that with God, unless they by faith accept, accept that God is God and, and fear God and keep his commandments, they'll, they'll, they'll allow that to, to, to weigh them down as they continue to go their future. There's unanswered questions that you've just got to leave with God. You've got to leave it with him. And if you don't leave it with him, it'll be baggage that will wear, weigh you down and keep you from being the person you need to be if you don't deal with that baggage. And sometimes dealing with that baggage is nothing more than I don't know anything about this God. I don't know why in the world this happened, but you are God and I'm not and you've got to take this hurt away from me and please help me to leave all these questions right here and get on with my life. Sometimes that's the very best thing you can do with it. In my 
12 years here, well, we've had three or four babies that have died. What am I supposed to say? What wisdom? I mean, I don't, I don't have anything to say that makes them feel better. I wouldn't preach in this sermon. I mean, this sermon wouldn't do them any good in the middle of the grief that they're in. But I can give you some reasons that life is unfair. And the first thing is something you've heard before, but it's, it's, it's just at the very top of the list. is Injustice comes from the freedom to choose. A whole lot of injustice happens, and not, every, not 100% of injustice, but a whole lot of injustice happens because of man's freedom to choose and freedom to do, be able to do good or do evil. That doesn't explain why a tsunami comes and, and kills a thousand people. That doesn't explain why a tornado comes and just destroys a third of Xenia back in 19... It doesn't explain that. But a lot of the injustice of man can be explained because us humans have freedom to choose good or freedom to do evil. Now, God could take care of the injustice problem, almost all of the injustice problem, with a snap of his fingers. But he'd have to make us robots that always went around like we had this little brain chip in our head, always going around and doing the right thing all the time. Then a, a, a whole slew of injustice would be wiped away. Because a lot of injustice is, is the oppressor. The oppressor. Oppressing people. You can't have the freedom to do good without having the freedom to do bad. <laughs> you just can't. You just can't. And God, for a reason that only he knows, has, has given us free will. You know, he, you know, I could make my boys, I guess if there was such a thing that I could put a brain chip in both of my boys and, and make them do the right thing all the time. You know, for a little while that would sound pretty cool, but that would get old really, really quick. Because I want my boys to choose to do the right thing themselves. In fact, there's many times... I will allow them to choose improperly so I hope it will teach them a lesson. That's what good parents do. Good parents don't save all their kids from all the problems because kids are hard-headed just like you and I were hard-headed and the only way we learn things is by doing it ourselves and making the mistake ourselves. I do that with staff members a whole lot. I mean, I, I'll let a, I won't let a staff member make a huge mistake, but I'll let a staff member make a mistake because they need to learn from that and they learn a whole lot better if they get to do what they want to do and figure it out was the wrong thing than they would if the pastor the boss comes down and bees the ball and is the boss and says no you can't do that they will always wonder it would have gone better my way good parenting is the same thing and i wonder if god is the same way the way people grow up is to learn from their mistakes many times Levi's away at a two-week 
summer scholars program at, at Cedarville University. It's nothing but a recruiting ploy for Cedarville is all it basically is. I knew that as soon as I saw that they put him in the brand new dorms. And I know as a freshman they're not going to put him in the brand new dorm. But <laughs> and I also knew it when he told me his first test was a take-home, was an open book test. I said, well, they're not going to give you a real hard test because you won't want to go to school if they give you a real hard test. And but he, but he, he sent me a text this morning for Father's Day, so we're not going to see him. We, he was gone all last week, and we won't see him this Saturday. And so he sent me a text with Father's Day, and I know all the counselors probably told the kids to send their dad's text, and I get that. But he wrote some really nice words, okay? Wrote some really nice words. And I get a kick that he did that. Now, if he had a brain chip that I put in his head that made him do that, I, wouldn't, I don't think I'd get a kick out of it. I get a kick that he wrote some really nice words today. But if he's programmed to do that, if he's a robot, if all his free will is gone, then I wouldn't receive any kick as a dad that my son said some nice things. Can I say reverently, I think God likes to get a kick out of us. Can I say that reverently? That when we turn free will to him, when we, when we love him, when we honor him of our own free will, I think he, can I say it reverently, he gets a kick out of that? I know that's not good language. I know that's not theologically good language. I know all that. Free will, friends, is important. It's important. And everybody talks about they want to be pro-choice, and we've got to be pro-choice. And Yeah, you can be pro-choice all you want, but there's consequences for your choices. You can be pro- yeah, 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 I'm pro-choice. I mean, but, but there's consequences for the choices you make. And the pro-choice crowd doesn't, they want to erase the consequences for the choices that they make. And you can't do that. You, you erase consequences for your choices. You erase a moral law that God has, uh, that, a natural law that God has put in this world that, that what you will sow, you will reap. You can't erase one of God's natural laws. Deuteronomy chapter 11, uh, Moses speaking the words of the Lord, says this, See, I have set before you today a blessing and a curse, a blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I'm giving you today. And the next verse says, it's and, and a curse if you will disobey them. And you'll turn away to other gods and so forth and so on. I've set before you here how you can have a good life. Now, you have to choose. And, and, and a passage in Deuteronomy 30 that I bet I've read to you 15 times in 12 years of being here because it's such an important passage. Deuteronomy 13, Moses, again, saying the words of the Lord, before they go into the promised land, before they get to go to the land God promised them, and I'm going to give you this land. He says, see, I've set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God and walk in obedience to him and to keep his commandments, decrees, and laws. And then you will live and increase. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. If, if you do that, and what I didn't put up there, the next verse, but if your heart turns away and you are, you are drawn away to worship other gods and bow down to them, you will certainly be destroyed. He, he, he gives us choices. And then verse 19 is a verse I've read to you a lot too. This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I've set before you life and death, blessings and curses. I've set before you life and death. I've written for you 
how you to have life and how you will have death, how you are to be blessed and how you to be cursed. Now choose. Now choose life. And I I, I just love that. This is one of my favorite passages in all Scripture because there's a certain amount of a secular thinking that will acknowledge that there is a God, will acknowledge that there is a God that spun this world into existence, will acknowledge that there is a God that, that, that hung the stars and the moon and the sun in place and keeps the planets from falling, crashing down to earth. They'll acknowledge there's some how, higher power, but they say that he's totally distant. He's not a perfect God. And the God of the Bible says, I've set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life. That's our God. He's not a distant God. He's not an impersonal God. He's a God that's pulling for you. Now, you got choices here. Now, God, you got choices. But come on, child. Choose life. <laughs> that's our God. That's one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. C.S. Lewis is one of the greatest Christian writers of all time. I'd, I'd, I'd encourage you to, to read from him and but he's, he's not an easy read. You, you, read a, you read a page and you got to go back and read it again because he, he's, he's a brilliant man, but he says some really good things. He says this on free will. He says, God created free will. That means creatures can go right, wrong or right. If a thing is free to be good, it's also free to be bad. And see, and what the people are saying about it's not fair why does God allow that they just want their understanding of fair and their understanding of fair is where everything just goes good everything just goes good and they they will just close their eyes to where you have good you have to have evil if there is a good how would you even know what good is if there wasn't an evil how would you even know what evil is if there wasn't a good Free will is what has made evil possible. Why then did God give them free will? And Lewis continues, because free will, though it makes evil possible, is also the only thing that makes possible any love, goodness, or joy worth having. It's really good. It's really, really good. Injustice comes from our freedom to choose. And I need to tell you also, though life is unfair, there's going to be a day where God will balance the books. Uh, though, though, though life is unfair, it, it is. It's just not, it's just, it's not fair. It's not fair. Why does Marilyn Dini, after a life of, life of giving, end up getting hit by a drunk driver? It's not fair. It's not fair. Came from the freedom to choose. That lady had the freedom to choose to take that drink and get in that car. But it's not fair what happened to Maryland Dini. I know it's not fair. And it could happen to any one of us at any time. But God promises there's a day that he will judge and make things right. He'll balance the books. I don't know when that day is coming, and you don't know when that day is coming. For one thing, we all know it's going to be farther along than we thought it was because we would like judgment to come quickly. But God is not on our timetable. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 17 says this. Solomon says, God will bring into judgment both the righteous and the wicked, for, there's a, for there will be a time for every activity, a time to judge every deed. 
Back in the first book of the Bible, there was questions about God doing right. The whole Sodom and Gomorrah story. God was going to destroy Genesis 18. Genesis 18, verse 25, Abraham says, Far be it from you, Lord, to, do, to kill the righteous and the wicked altogether. He's saying, that's not you. You don't treat the righteous and the wicked alike. You don't treat them the same. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? And the judge of all the earth will do right. He'll do it on his timetable. And, and his right may not be our right. But part of fear in God is knowing that he's God and we're not. And my definition of fair and my definition of right and his definition of fair and his definition of right probably aren't the same thing. That's, that, that is part and parcel to fearing God, knowing that he's God and I'm not. And his ways are not my ways. And my ways are not his ways. And he doesn't think like I do. And I certainly don't think like he does. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9. He says, now the Lord... He's not slow the way you define slow, Peter says. Instead, he's patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. If God brings a curtain down on this earth and, 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 and makes everything right, there's a consequence for that. No one else is coming into the kingdom of heaven. No one else gets to accept Jesus Christ as Savior. They won't come to repentance, as Second Peter says here. There's consequence for, for God bringing the curtain down on this earth. No longer for anyone a chance for anyone to, to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of their life. Romans chapter 2, in, in this whole context, Paul's talking about judgment. And he basically says, God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. God's patience is intended to lead you to repentance repentance one of the reasons God's slow in his judgments is so so your husband so your child so your cousin so your next door neighbor so your nieces so your nephews will have another chance to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of their life the injustice of life will either make us or it will break us you know this you know this nobody matures as a human being during the good times when times are just great and everything is hunky-dory and it's just everything is smooth as silk no one really grows too much during those times you grow during the difficult times of life you learn lessons during the difficult times of life and we allow our kids as i've said earlier we allow our kids to go through some of those difficult times in life. We allow them, we don't save them from the consequence of their own actions because they'll mature and they'll grow up during those. Now there's obviously some very poor decisions that would have drastic consequences that we save our kids from, of course. But all the run-in-the-mill, lousy choices that our kids may make, Do I really have to remind my boys to put gas in, their, in the car? <laughs> they just need to run out. <laughs> now, how, how, how will they ever learn? 
that you've got to put gas in your car if they don't run out sometime. Well, Mark, that'll make it hard on you. You've got to go help them. Well, that's what I shouldn't have wanted to be a dad then. The, the difficult times of life will make us or break us. And we all will go through difficult times. Some harder than others, and I don't understand why, but some harder than others. And what you do with those difficult times have a large part on the person you, that you will become. You, you, you've got to release those things that have happened to you that were not just, that were not fair. You've got to release them. Those people did that things to you or they said those things or they hurt you or they lied to you, they stabbed you in the back, you've got to release them or you won't go into the future that God has for you because you'll be weighed down by this baggage. How dare I let somebody have that much control over me? That, I, that I'm holding on to that hurt and I can't go into my future because I got this bunch of hurt that I won't let go of that's holding me down. God says it's that hurt if you do the right thing with us that, that'll make you a better person in the long run. Romans 5 says this, Paul's writing. And Paul says suffering produces perseverance. Hard times produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character. And character produces hope. You know, we don't, we don't, if, you don't want to give your kids a life that's so easy and they got everything they want. You, don't want, you know you don't want to do that as a parent because you know they won't grow then. Why was it in, when I was a high school and college basketball coach that when we started practice in October, why, is it, why was it at the end of practice that we lined those kids up on the line and we made them run? And many times we made them run till they puked. And not because we're mad at them or anything. It's because we had, they had to get in shape because in February they'd be able to play in the fourth quarter. But if they didn't get in shape, if they didn't go through the hard stuff in October to get in shape, they're not going to be competing in February. They won't have the, the stuff that makes it in the fourth quarter. And they love it when they have stamina in, in, in the fourth quarter. But the only reason they have stamina in the fourth quarter is because of the hard times they went through in October. And, 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 and you'd have kids sometimes that would, that would go off to the side and throw up. Well, it look, how, look, look what Mark ought to call. Mark shouldn't be this hard on those kids. Well, if they want to be a basketball player, I'm doing the very best thing I can for them. But it ain't easy. It's just not. Suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. One of the reasons we have injustice, not the only reason, but one of the reasons we have injustices in life, because it makes us or breaks us. And you could all think of people that it's broken. It's broken. And you can think of some people that it's made. Can I tell you one more thing? I'm going to let you go. I'll talk too long already, okay? The, the only thing that makes life fair <laughs> is the delusion, that makes life unfair, is the delusion that it should be fair. <laughs> do, you, do you get that? 
Life's not fair. That's reality. You've got to accept it. Don't be thrown for a loop every time something unfair happens. Don't, just don't get freaked. It, that's just the way life is. But if you are deluded to think that life ought to be fair, then you'll get freaked out every time it's unfair. I just, I just don't see that. I don't see life being fair in here, and I don't see life being fair by my experience of living and by your experience of living and talk to everybody else. Jesus came along and said, in John 16, Jesus came along and said, in this world, you will have trouble. Tolerate. In this world, you will have trouble. It's just, it's, just accept it. But as a Christian, you can take heart because I've overcome the world. You, you, you're going to have hard places in this life, but you, you, you're, you're going to have a soft landing in heaven and live eternally in heaven. This, this world is not your home. These 70, 75, 80 years on this earth, this is not what it's about. Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, Paul says, you know, in this world there's evil, so don't repay people evil for evil this world there's evil okay let's this is reality so make sure you don't repay people evil for evil so how, how is it you deal with the reality unfairness we 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 accept it and we know it's going to be there but we we don't say just because the world is evil i just might go must go along with the evil world and i just might join in with them no no you do right don't repay anyone evil for evil be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. In the midst of evil, in the midst of, of things that are not fair, in the midst of injustice, you do right, Christian friend. Fear God and keep his commandments. It's the sum of the whole thing. Eight, verse 18 says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace. Go back one verse, please. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace. I love that verse because it says, if it is possible, which must mean it ain't possible all the time. I mean, th th I mean you don't have to have a Bible, be a Bible scholar to read that, right? He could have he just said, live at peace with everybody. He says, if it is possible, then he said this, as much as it depends on you. You can't keep someone else from not living at peace with you. But you don't have to have angst against them as much as it depends upon you it's just it's just an acknowledgement that there's evil in this world and this world is not the way it should be in this world you will have trouble and then he continues in verse 18 amy he continues in verse 18 and says don't take revenge even though their people will do you wrong don't take revenge but leave room for god and and his justice and his wrath for it is written is mine to avenge i will repay on the contrary you do good that's what it says basically you do good in 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 in, in the face of injustice and unfairness of life verse 20 basically says you do good if your enemy is hungry give him something to eat. don't just be like everybody else and, re and repay evil for evil
in the last bit of that passage says do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good so well, how do you how do you deal with the, the reality of injustice in, in in life well you you don't allow yourself to to get carried away with that and just the world has gone to hell in the handbasket and so I'll just I guess I will this, this, nobody's all fired up but I haven't got too many nobody's all fired up about this message it's just it, this, this is a hard, sober truth. But I like the way that Solomon, what he says in Ecclesiastes chapter 8, and it should give every one of us hope in the midst of the reality that life is not fair. It should give every one of us hope. And it's what I want to leave you with this morning. Because in Ecclesiastes chapter 8, Verse 11 says, when the sentence for a crime is not carried out, men's hearts are filled with schemes to do wrong. We see that happening everywhere. I mean, you just, you just have to watch the news, and you just see people in San Francisco and L.A., they just going in grocery stores and grabbing whatever they want and walking out. And why are they doing that? Because they don't see people getting punished for it. Listen to verse 12. Although a wicked person who commits a hundred crimes may live a long time, that's unfair, right? A wicked person that, lives, that commits a hundred crimes may live a long time. I know that it will go better for those who fear God. Amen. Will it go perfect? Didn't say that, did he? You, will you live a life with no injustice? It didn't say that, did it? It didn't say that at all. It just basically says, although... A guy may commit a hundred crimes and get, and get away with it. That's unfair. A guy or gal may commit a hundred crimes and get away with it. I know that it will go better for you if you're a Christian. It'll go better for you. What's better mean, Mark? I'm not sure I know. I know it goes better eternally. I was raised in a Christian home. There's no telling how much junk I've avoided because I was raised in a Christian home. There's no telling how much junk I've avoided because I, I was taught that there's, a, there's places you go and places you, not, you don't go. And, and so I was taught about that. And, and, and maybe I have not had some of the hard things in life just because I was raised in a Christian home and my parents taught me some things. Now, I didn't always obey them. I know that. But can I tell you what Solomon says? Solomon now, the wisest man who ever lived, what the Bible says about him, at least, at least until the biblical times. He, the Bible says he's the wisest man who ever lived. He says, you know, I know life's unfair, but it'll just go better with you if you fear God. That's some good stuff there, friends. I know it's unfair. I know it's unfair. But things will go better for you. Well, Mark, how can you explain this situation, you know? Look what Tiffany's going through. We prayed about it a few weeks ago. What? Didn't say the things were going to go perfect. Tiffany's suffering some injustice in life, and her mother's suffering injustice in life because of man's freedom to choose. But it'll go better 
through that injustice, things will go better for Tiffany and things will go better for her mom if they fear God through it. Then if they just throw up their hands and say, I'm just going to repay evil for evil. I'm just going to be like the world. I'm just going to repay evil for evil. The very beginning of fearing God is coming to a point where you know that you can't stand before him clothed in your own goodness. (laughs) I wonder what percentage of people in in the world are satisfied of standing before a holy God in their own goodness. That's that's funny, isn't it? What, What that shows, they have no fear of God. They have no concept of his righteousness and his holiness. And God has said, you shall do this and you shall not do this. And we've all transgressed that. And we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And there's no way I can stand before him in my own goodness, in my own righteousness. But because he's a good God and a personal God that says, choose life, he's provided life for us through the person of Jesus Christ. And we can be clothed. Not in my robes of my own righteousness, but in the robes of Jesus. Jesus was the only one who lived on this earth that shouldn't have had to die for his own sin. And he did. And in some way, I'll never be able to understand, but I'll preach it to the day I die. Some way, God looks at my faith in Jesus as righteousness before him. I can't explain it. Not sure it makes logical sense. But that's what his word says. And by faith, I take it. Can you explain all of it, Mark? No. If I could explain all of it, it wouldn't be faith anymore. By faith, I accept his word that says in some way when I stand before him, God will not look at me through my righteousness. He'll look through me through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Does that happen to you? Things go better for you. Even though the world's going to hell in the handbasket, things go better for you if you fear God. Our servers are coming to the front in the very first part of fearing God is accepting his son Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life. And that's why we observe this every single week. Because this is the crux of the whole thing. This is the center. And if you miss this, what Jesus did for you, you'll live your life for margins. This is the main thing. Seek first the kingdom of God, and then all these things will be added to you as well.